buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today's a special episode. We are doing a part two with Michael, Mike Rendenzo from Challenger. Uh, if you didn't catch part one, it's episode 169. You definitely want to check it out. And we're digging into how to be a challenger seller at all stages of the sales process. And we got cut short, so we're going to sort of pick it up where we left off, do a little bit of a recap, and then dive in. And um, if you don't know who Michael is, he's the Senior Director of Marketing and Sales Enablement over at Challenger. Uh, Michael's worked in the sales performance and transformation space for much of his career as a consultant and advisor to senior sales and marketing leaders. So he is definitely qualified to talk about this topic. Mike, welcome back for round two. Thank you, Colin. Happy to be back. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the first time that we've done this, but there was just way too much to unpack in one episode. <laughs> and so you're going to have to go back and listen to 169 if you haven't. Uh, definitely suggest you do that now and then come right back here. However, um, Mike, why don't you just give us sort of a recap of what we covered in episode 169 yeah. of bringing that sort of challenger mindset as a seller to sort of the beginning stages of the sales process up to kind of discovery? Yeah, so so part one, really, we talked about the basics of the Challenger concept and, and where Challenger came from, the research we did, you know, in 2008, 2009 um, as a research firm, moving into the book we published in 2011, and, you know, ultimately the, the, the whole idea, the premise that um, we found over a decade ago and we continue to reaffirm as we run the same analyses year in and year out, there are various types of B2B seller profiles that exist in the wild. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to give away the punchline, right, like the challenger profile among the, the five that we found is a seller who is adept at teaching, taking, tailoring, taking control of the sales process and then building and leveraging what we call constructive tension to, to build momentum and drive urgency throughout the sales process. Mm -hmm. That profile is far more likely to be a high performer relative to the other profiles, which, you know, relationship builders, problem solvers, we won't go into all that today in terms of detail. But... The point is, like, it was true then when we wrote the book 10 years ago. It's true now because we conduct continuous research and we reaffirm all, everything we're talking about here. And what we started talking about last time was the difference between a challenger and a typical seller in certain key leverage, like high leverage moments across the sales process. And we, we landed on kind of this conversation about well, what happens in an initial sales interaction with a, a prospect or a client, right? Like, what does a discovery call look like in common practice versus 
what does a discovery call look like uh, delivered as delivered by a challenger, right? And so there's some key differences there. Um, that whole episode was really about the fundamentals. Today, uh, you know, you tell me where you want to go, but like the natural extension would be okay. So, so what do we do beyond that first call, right? Like, how do we manage a process or navigate a process as a challenger seller? What are the things we're doing differently? And a lot of that revolves around what we call commercial insight and, and being able to unpack insight with a, with a customer or prospective customer throughout the cycle uh, to, to drive them in the right direction. Yeah, and so, and, and just, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, even even somebody who sells, you know, as a challenger, uh, it's hard to do all the time. And I and I imagine out of these five different profiles, people tend to be maybe a bit of a hybrid, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it's even if you're used to selling that way and say you nail it in discovery, um, you know, how do you keep that momentum going uh, to not kind of fall back into maybe something that might be a little bit more comfortable like the relationship seller or, you know, some of these other kind of types of sellers that maybe they're can easily be drawn back to which could come up in other stages of the sales without, you know, having this sort of commercial insight to, you know, keep a deal moving forward with the momentum um, where these high profile, high producing sellers excel. Yeah. Well, to your first point around like, hey, I'm sure some sellers have like elements of multiple different profiles. That's absolutely true. So what we, in the original research, we, you know, the way to look at it is of the five seller profiles, think of them as like college majors and minors. Everybody mm -hmm. has a major, everybody also has a minor. So like you you predominantly fall into one of the five buckets, but you also have traits and behaviors and skills that you exhibit regularly that fall into the other ones. Yeah. So you can very much be like a challenger, problem solver combo, like a challenger, um, hard worker combo. And there's certain things you do differently that fall in line with those profiles. But the th to, to your second point around like, how do we make sure we're keeping momentum or like, avoiding reverting back to um, maybe a product feature function centric pitch uh, as we advance from that initial conversation and start to get into demos or start to get into group presentations where we're just super excited to show up and show other stakeholders all the things that we can do with our, our platform, our technology, our solution, whatever we're selling. Um, that's a good conversation for us to have today. And that's where I would point to, as I mentioned before, this idea of keeping that insight, that thing that you started that first call focused on teaching a customer something new about their business with a cost or risk associated with not addressing that thing that you've just illuminated for them, keeping that center and your North Star as you, as you navigate that process, as you, as you move through your five, six, seven, whatever, however many sales stages you have, that insight is central to how you're going to carry momentum throughout. Yeah, and, and, and is there certain like stages of the sales process um, that this becomes a little bit more challenging? Sure. Uh, kind of funny. How, where, at what stage <laughs> of the sales process did it become more challenging to... To be a challenger. Uh, yeah. To be a challenger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's... Uh, look, let's step back for a second. Consider for a moment all the things that organizations ask of sales professionals today. Yeah. Say I'm an enablement. I am an enablement leader. Say I'm a sales leader. Say I'm a, a commercial leader. Say you know a senior executive in a business, and we've established a sales process for our team to follow, because we believe that that process is going to scale 
efficiency and efficacy. Cool. Mm -hmm. Early on, so think think about the jobs we're asking sellers to do throughout that process. So first and foremost, like schedule as many meetings as you possibly can. We need opportunity volume. We need activity volume. But do it in a very limited access environment, which is very noisy. And in some cases, like customers are just tuning us out right now because there's so much noise or because they've got focus priorities that uh, don't involve buying something from you, right? So mm -hmm. first step is just trying to, to generate interest in the first place. Then you got to show up on those first calls, as we talked about last time, in those discovery calls or those first sales interactions and create demand where perhaps there is none, right? In order to actually yeah. qualify an opportunity that could turn into legit pipeline. This is where it gets really tricky. Like we often see, like, as we talked about those discovery calls, we can, we can land um, uh, a punch in that initial conversation with a strong insight where we are talking about and illuminating a problem that exists that our customer doesn't actually know exists yet. Right. Get them to start exploring it. But where most sales processes go from there is, okay, now we got to start like unpacking how our solution solves that problem. Yeah. And I think the misstep we often see is jumping from discovery to demo, for example, thinking that just because you've got that individual, that, that initial stakeholder bought into the idea, that now we can start digging into all the bells and whistles and features and functionality <laughs> and benefits of our solution. Not quite there yet, because what's really happening is that you're moving into a stage where you're moving from one or two stakeholders to a group of anywhere from six to 12 different right. stakeholders. So now you're thinking about complex stakeholder management, especially if you're talking about complex B2B solutions that you're selling. Those groups are made up of people who have very different backgrounds, experiences, priorities, objectives, KPIs, yeah. and different perspectives about what you offer. Right? right, your inherent value, whether or not to partner with you to bring a solution to bear or somebody else. And so you've got to somehow bring that group to consensus across a several month cycle, a several month period. Oh, and then by the way, you get sort of towards the later stage of your process and, and you're ready to close and you actually have to start preparing for battle with a procurement officer whose mission it is to just flat out commoditize you and force as many concessions as possible, right? So like their yeah. their paycheck depends on that. It's kind of like the final boss that you encounter in video games, right? Like yeah. just when you think you've gotten through the most complex part of complex selling, wrangling seven different stakeholders and generating consensus, now you have to go in this uncertain economic environment and convince a procurement officer who knows nothing about what your solution does or why it's important to not press you for that 25% discount, right? Yeah. Those are all the ways. Meanwhile, that, you've that you already spent the, the commission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, you're, you're in stage five, and you're like, well, that's a 90% close rate for me. Once I reach stage five, um, yeah. I'm good to go, right? But look, the point remains, like there are many ways that uh, it gets challenging for even the best challengers once you get past those initial stages of a sales cycle. Um, this, this idea of keeping your insight front and center throughout the entire process is really really what I think is, is critical to it. Yeah, so let's let's take a step back for a second, right? So, okay, so you nailed discovery, you get your prospect, your initial you know point of contact to agree, okay, yeah, there's a problem, right? And, and so where I think that crucial step, which you kind of dug into a little bit, well, okay, then you've got six to 12 stakeholders we first got to get them all to agree that there's a problem and that it's a priority to even solve that problem or that 
you know, what the impact is of not solving that problem, right? Which is a challenge in itself. And so getting them all to agree to those insights that you bring to the table actually have any merit or value um, mm-hmm. is sort of the big hurdle before where a lot of cases sellers are really quick to kind of jump to that feature benefit demo stage. But it, there's actually a lot of work that still needs to be done before getting there. Yep. Yep. So what are what are some what are some things that sellers can do uh, to accomplish that in a more successful way than maybe they are today? Well, let's let's take a first step and start thinking about okay. Um, after my initial call, I've impressed my first stakeholder, and and you know they've agreed to kind of continue to explore. I've wowed them with an insight and. Insight, I think it's it's a it's a word that you know ten years ago, if you asked us like what insight is, and we gave an answer, we'd say not there weren't many companies out there that were actually pretty pretty good at putting together insights for sellers to use in their messaging and their pitch decks and their conversations with prospects. Again, going in and teaching a customer something new about their business. I'd say ten years later, companies have made great strides, right? Um, when you think about delivering an insight to an individual versus a group, the thing that you really need to keep in mind here is, again, one of the core challenger skills, one of the things that they're particularly adept at doing is tailoring a message, tailoring an insight to the needs of not only companies, which is where you'd start that first conversation, likely, yeah, but also to individuals. And then recognizing that individuals in that buying group from all those different functions have different perspectives. And I think the place to start to answer your question here is basically really think about is the message I'm delivering insight? Is it true insight? And, and when we say true insight, what we, we have this term, we call it commercial insight. Um, and, and the word commercial in front of insight implies that you're actually getting a commercial outcome out of delivering it and carrying that through this, the process. I think the best way to explain what commercial insight is and what you're going to need to use throughout the process to, to push things forward is to maybe explain what it isn't. So I'll, I'll, I'll invoke like the image of like one of those Rus- Russian nesting dolls, right? Yeah. With the, the, the wooden dolls with the, the layers. The layers, in this case, consider them to represent like the various types of information available to customers. Any sort of message that a stakeholder or a group of stakeholders would react to in your conversation with them. The outer layer is what we would consider general information. This is just stuff that's not all that interesting. They can find it anywhere. They can do their own research and and learn what they need to learn about your category. You go down a layer, you peel one of the layers off, and now you're into what we call accepted or credible information. And this is actually like information about you and what you do with some credible sort of authoritative guidance behind it. Like, hey, we're speaking about a topic because this is our world, this is our wheelhouse, and you should accept what we're saying is fact. Great. Yeah. Credible, relevant, not all that interesting. So we need to dig in further, right? As, as a sales professional, we, we want to make sure we're going beyond just general information or credible, accepted information. Anybody can do that. The next layer is what we call thought leadership. Mm-hmm. Now, thought leadership is a term that's been used quite heavily for about a, I was going to say a year, but I was going to say a, a decade at least since I've been in this space. And the trick with thought leadership is this is new. It's interesting. It's incremental information that you're teaching your customer or a stakeholder group in this instance that they might not have otherwise known or mm-hmm. found out if you hadn't delivered it to them. It's interesting, but it doesn't actually necessarily drive action. So it's a compelling stat or a data point, but it doesn't give you enough of like a call to action in terms of 
based on this stat or data point, here's what you need to do differently, and here's where there's some urgency behind it. Mm. That's thought leadership. We're just teaching about interesting things, and we're giving people things to consider. So remember, there's there's that's three layers into inform the information hierarchy as a seller. We're still not all the way at that point where uh, challengers ultimately use messages to to navigate complex cycles. The next layer, you reveal the next layer. It's it's what we call insight. Insight is not quite all the way to commercial insight. Here's why. Insight teaches a customer something new about their business or about their world. It exposes a problem they didn't realize existed. Right. But the reason why it's not commercial insight is because there's no guarantee you're getting paid on this. You can go in and show somebody that a problem exists in their business that they weren't aware of. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to lead back to you as the solutions provider. Yeah. Well, That's because, what commercial insight does. Okay. All right. So so you can give them sort of a, you know, uh, and uh, you can bring something to their attention that they can find, you know, otherwise. Okay. Not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, bring something to their attention that's a little more relevant to them specifically. And, but then when you get to that sort of insight, it's like, oh, wow, we didn't realize this. We didn't know this. This is something we really need to look at. Um but you're still, you know, you still haven't validated, like, do they care about solving that? How big is that problem? Are you the right fit to solve that problem? Um, and could they live with that problem or is it not that big of a priority? So how do you start to get that to be more of a priority and kind of tie your solution to that commercial insight? A hundred percent. And the key consideration there is, remember, you're not doing all that with just one individual. You're doing it with probably 11 individuals, right? So the difference between general information, thought leadership, insight, and commercial insight is its ability to forge consensus. Commercial insight exposes that gap or that flaw or that overlooked problem. Um, you know, could be the way they manage projects, the way they prevent data breaches, the way they clean their commercial kitchen equipment, equipment whatever organization yeah. you're selling to, it unpacks the cost and risk of that problem, then leads back to what is uniquely differentiated about your solution. And when you have that connection, there's nothing more effective at bringing a group of a dozen different perspectives and stakeholders together and getting them on the same page. And that's really what we need to, to keep front and center. Commercial insight not only exposes the problem, but it leads back to something you do uniquely well. If you don't have that, you risk teaching them into the arms of your competitors. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to provide free consulting as sales professionals. We want to make sure that the path leads back to us. Yeah. Yeah. And that can happen or, or they can be like, great. Thanks for helping us realize this, but you know, we got it from here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Oh, cool. I think we've got an in-house solution to solve that problem. Right. Unless yeah. you have a good response in that. Yeah. I know you could do this in-house, but here's what you'll be missing. And here's the cost associated with that. Again, you're still continuously teaching throughout the cycle. And that's the point of all of this. That insight is your North star. I should say commercial insight is your North star to manage the the mid and late stages of complex sales cycles today. Yeah. So can you give me an example? Like, do you have an example for maybe somebody who's kind of struggling to follow along with these layers? Sure. Um, like, give me an example kind of and sort of break it down maybe in that, that same way. And I think that would really help people to kind of understand this and maybe figure out a way to tie it to what they do. Yeah, there's... Um, I'll share two classic examples that I think like the categories are like safe and easy, easily understood yeah. by everybody. So like just to kind of paint the picture of, hey, here's selling without commercial insight, leading with our product, and then here's selling by leading with insight. So the first, the first story, if you will, um, 
is from a company called Denseply, and this is one of our favorite examples because it's so just vivid in terms of the difference between before and after. But Denseply sells, um, as you might guess, dental supplies. Okay, mm -hmm. so this is this is what they're selling. They're selling tools. They're selling drills. They're selling cleaning equipment to dentists and hygienists for them to use in their day to day. Uh, several years back, they had they had just launched a brand new product, which was, by all accounts and through clinical trials and data, um, a revolutionary product. It was actually the lightest weight, most ergonomically correct uh, cleaning tool on the market. It's actually something that they tested with Dennis and Hygienis, and they all loved it. It was the superior product. So, the problem was, <laughs> sales reps would walk into the dentist's office lay out this shiny briefcase on the table, open it up, and say, hey, here's the XP9000. It is the lightest weight, most ergonomically correct, preferred hand tool from dentists and hygienists across the last 12 months. What do you think the first question they always got was? So what? <laughs> Why do I care? Yeah, well, even more basic than that. Okay, uh, how much? <laughs> the, ah. They were immediately reduced to price, right? They led with a product with certain features and benefits associated with it, lightweight, easy to use. But the first question or comment was always, okay, how much does this cost? Because I've already got equipment, right? Yeah. Equipment is a capital cost. I already have it. And we probably have two or three years more, uh, uh, two, two or three more years of, of useful life on the, on the drills and the tools we have. So why do I need this? That was disheartening because they had spent so much time in R&D and testing and, and had all this proof that this was a superior product. They didn't really know why they were reaching this, that they were, they were meeting this resistance until they sort of reoriented their messaging strategy. Okay, so they, they thought about, okay, we're leading with product. Instead, we need to be thinking about what's the customer problem we're solving with the XP9000 with a lightweight, ergonomically, and ergonomically correct, and by the way, cordless tool. So what they did was they we worked with them on their messaging and, and ultimately what we landed on is instead of leading with those features and functions, they actually ultimately did some research and, and uh, found that um, there was a problem that was persistent and per pervasive in dental offices and that actually had to do with something that was unexpected, um, hygienist absenteeism. So what they actually found was that Dental hygienists, uh, among all professions, were, were the ones that actually had to take more time off than anyone else um, because of sore wrists, sore arms, carpal tunnel syndrome, musculoskeletal disorder. What they actually found was that the, the work itself and the tools that they're using in the day-to-day -day were causing acute pain that led to more days out of the office than any other profession and early retirement. But what they really dug into and found out was it's actually not just the nature of the work. So it was always assumed by dentists that, yeah, this is like a pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour. At some point, they're going to have to have Tommy John surgery because their, their ligament's going to be damaged. Yeah. That was the assumption that, look, I know my hygienists are going to wear out and they're going to need more time out of the office. That's just the nature of the work. What they ultimately found was that it's not the nature of the work. It's actually the weight and the design of the tool itself. Wow. So the new message was for Densply, you've got a hygienist absenteeism issue, right? At annual absenteeism rate is 34%. Uh, there's 10% turnover rate associated just with musculoskeletal disease every year. Um, you're losing a certain amount of revenue per day because of sick days, because of time off, right? The total opportunity cost could be upwards of half a million dollars to your practice in any given year. 
Now all of a sudden, that's the conversation we're leading with. We're not walking yeah. in with, hey, let me show you the XP9000. We're walking with, I'd like to talk to you about the drivers and costs of hygienist absenteeism. Whoa, yeah. like that is a completely different way to lead into a conversation with a dentist. It takes the focus on the product away and puts it on a pervasive business issue that they have that they actually didn't realize there was something they could do about. Wow. Then the question was probably, how many can I buy right now? And I don't even care what the price is. No, right? Like, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the question is like, and look, like, you know, I, yeah, for all intents and purposes, like that's that's ultimately the reaction. But the, the, the real kicker was, all right, can you come back and can we talk more about like how we can mitigate this risk with the tools that you're <laughs> showing. Come back for the demo. Don't open the briefcase the first minute yeah. you walk in. But like, let's have a conversation first about hygienist absenteeism and how much it might be costing your practice in a given year based on the number of hygienists you have, based on the number of patients they see every day. At some point, we'll show you the tool. But again, that takes a back seat to solving this business problem that dentists didn't realize they actually had that was they could do something about. Really, really powerful story. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a great example. I mean, n number one, I'm sure more, more, you're able to have more conversations leading with that than, Hey, let me come, let me show you this cool new tool. Uh, so number one, yep. more opportunities, uh, even, you know, have an open door and then to have that type of conversation, uh, definitely in that case, I would assume landed more next conversations to actually then talk about the product. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, you're still going to get, you know, it's not 100%, right? Uh, I just said 100%, but it's not 100%. It's not a silver bullet in the sense that, like, you're going to convince every dentist that the thing they should solve right then and there is a hygienist absenteeism issue. Some people won't believe they have as much of an issue, or some people might not actually have as much of an issue. But it was a new way of starting that conversation, and it led to better results in terms of legit qualified opportunities and ultimately, um, you know, bottom line impact. Yeah. There's one more story. Here's a quick one. Yeah. And this is hopefully a brand that everybody's heard of, a company called Xerox, okay? So <laughs> Xerox sells printers of all kinds, right? And more yeah. than just that, but for the sake of this example, they were, they just um, developed a new color printing technology, a new color printer that they were trying to sell to uh, K through 12 school districts. And what they actually built was something that was really cool. It was the most efficient, lowest cost per print color printing technology on the market. Right, so literally, if you're going to buy color printing, this is the cheapest and highest quality product you could buy. Their pitch was walking into you know, an administrator's office, more likely an IT manager's office for a school district. Their pitch was, our leading edge cartridge-free technology produces 90% less waste than laser, and we can integrate it with our education-specific software solutions to meet your school's needs. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that on the surface technically, right? Like we're talking about the fact that it's 90% more efficient and produces 90% less waste than laser. The response here though was, that's great, but we don't have budget for color. We're good with mm -hmm. black and white. That's all we need. That's all we're going to pay for. We're a school. We don't have endless budget. Color printing mm -hmm. as a technology or as a technology is, is a, is a luxury. Mm -hmm. So they went back to the drawing room and they effectively say, we've got the superior product. It delivers an incredible benefit. We can't sell it. What's the matter here? They were leading with product and not with insight. So they did a whole bunch of research and we did a bunch of work with them. And what they ultimately found was there was this very interesting connection between color printing in the classroom 
and student engagement levels. So now think about this. They basically found that like, you know, uh, through various different studies and tests, like they found that um, color print in handouts versus black and white handouts actually led to recall retention of information and engagement in a classroom um, that was just leaps and bounds ahead of, of, of black and white printouts. And what's happening here is like, this was several years ago, but like you've got digital native kids growing up at home and they've got iPads and they're on the computer and they're doing their homework. You put them in a classroom and you hand them black and white printouts? That's shocking, right? Like it's gonna be hard for them to consume, internalize, and ultimately recall yeah. information, share with them in that way. So their pitch before was, here's our efficient color printing technology to an IT manager who's saying I don't have budget for any kind of color printing, no matter how efficient it is, to I'd like to talk to you about the impact of color materials on student performance. And that's a conversation that got them from IT manager of a school to superintendent of the school district. Because now we're not talking about color printing, we're actually talking about student outcomes, student performance, and the things that ultimately lead to better state and federal funding for a school based on uh, standardized test scores, right? Like, how do yeah. we improve the classroom experience? Color printing is one way to do that. So that's an incredible story as well, just I think in terms of the before and after, leading with the color printing technology versus leading to it by having a higher order conversation about something that stakeholders in that business, or in this case, a school district, actually care about. Yeah, those are two incredible examples. So, I mean, how can... How can a seller maybe identify, okay, like our messaging's not working. We're not, we don't have anything unique or insightful that's driving, you know, deeper conversations and driving more interest in what we do and how to, you know, if they don't have the resources to like get this type of insight or research, what can they do? Yeah. So I think, I think two things, um, at least to start, um, First, focus on answering a few basic questions about your customer's status quo. Mm -hmm. Build a hypothesis of need, right? Uh, the hypothesis of need is, is nothing more complex than to say, first question, here's what my customer is currently doing today around whatever workflow, strategy, process that you're focused on because you're ultimately selling a product or solution that enables that workflow or strategy or process or improves it. So first and foremost, you got to figure out what's the current state? What's the status quo? How would they articulate they go about their day-to-day -day in the context of what I'm trying to sell them? Yeah. Answer that question first. Second question, what are they missing? With that articulation of their current state status quo, what are they missing? What are they overlooking? What are they underappreciating in terms of risk or cost associated with, the, with doing the thing they've always done that way? So if you, if you come back to Xerox for a second, status quo is what? Black and white printing because it's cheap and we don't have budget. Right. What they're missing is black and white printing might be hurting learning outcomes in the classroom and it might be hurting student performance. That's step one. Figure out the status quo, figure out what's wrong with their status quo. Mm. Step two is figure out how your solution helps solve that problem uni uniquely well. And this is where it gets tricky because you may start to look at the thing that you're used to selling, all the features and functions and benefits that you sell on, and realize, look, we're not uniquely differentiated in our market. We actually don't have the color printing technology that is 90% more efficient than laser. So I'm not super confident that I'm leading to something that is truly uniquely differentiated. That could be your first red flag. So now you've got to figure out, okay, 
go back and figure out what's the problem that is worth solving where you are uniquely differentiated. Or flip it and say, look, organization, manager, senior leader, uh, I'm hearing and seeing and observing our customers are trying to tackle this problem. They're doing it the wrong way. But I'm having trouble linking it back to the solution that we're, that we're selling and ultimately delivering. We need to think organizationally about like what we're solving for and whether we have product market fit. Now, that's a higher order strategic yeah. conversation. But as a seller, focus on those three things. What's the customer to doing today? What are they missing about that current state status quo? And what should they be doing instead? And what they should be doing instead, that action, that behavior that they should take, should ultimately lead them to, to the solution that you're selling. Yeah, I love that. That's a that's I th I think some people might go down that process and be surprised on what the what they find, and maybe that means you're searching for a company that has a product that is uniquely differentiated, so you can have more success. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but hopefully it's a call. Hopefully it's a call to action for leaders in the company to sit sit back and say like, look, if we're building products with with certain features that aren't quite differentiated, is it because we can't? differentiate them or is it because we actually don't know what our customers should be solving for? And that's a really important insight I think for cross-functional leadership teams to also stumble upon. Do you really know what the status quo is of your customer and do you really know what they're missing so that you can build solutions that are uniquely differentiated in the market? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mike, it's been fantastic having you back for part two. Any final thoughts? Uh, what are we going to include in the show notes to get people into your world? Yeah, so uh, what I want to make sure everybody's aware of is, is, again, I talked about it last time, our monthly webinar series and podcast, um, Winning the Challenger Sale. Everything we've talked about in these last two episodes, like we go into detail on these concepts, what commercial insight looks like, what it is relative to product feature-led messaging, and more importantly, how to tactically incorporate an insight-led pitch into a discovery call or into a demo, how to drive stakeholder consensus. Um, that idea of stakeholder consensus, by the way, maybe that's the thing. We just released uh, a brand new episode called The Group Meeting, and it was literally all about how do you prepare for a group presentation or a meeting where you're encountering the broader stakeholder group for the first time. How do you set your agenda? Mm. What are your objectives? How are you going to teach that group about the problem that you're proposing you need to solve? And more importantly, bring them all to consensus, not only on the solution they should purchase from you, but first and foremost, the problem that's worth solving that you're, you're revealing with your insight. So check us out in that series where we dive deep and get into tactics that are, that are valuable for day-to-day -day execution. Awesome. We'll drop the link there so people can find it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And as always, we're listening for your feedback. Uh, you can leave us voice messages over at salestransformation.fm. Uh, we love the feedback, so please do share feedback with us if you have it. We love hearing from our listeners, and we will see you on the next episode. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.